It's 9-17, Saturday morning, June 14th, 2014. I finished my Bible study this morning, and now I'm walking in my old neighborhood. Not where I used to live, but where I used to walk all the time, up here in Stonemark. Between yesterday morning and this morning, I read the entire book of 1 Samuel. It's a fascinating, God has given me increasing amounts of understanding for His Word, and I find every repeated visit yields new spiritual fruit for me to harvest. It's, it's incredible. I marked up so many things in my Bible this morning that, you know, I've never seen before. One of the things I just thought about was it becomes so clear to me. God is allowing evil spirit torment, and that evil spirit in her is being used to pursue me, to bring adversity and affliction and difficulty And I can see how throughout the whole book, you know, all you know is, wow, Saul disobeys God. The Spirit of the Lord departs from him, and an evil spirit from the Lord is sent to torment him. And it's very easy to see that the tormenting is in his thoughts. It makes him angry. It makes him believe lies. It makes him highly anxious. It it makes him fearful, suspicious. He's afraid everybody's out to get him. So this spirit is lying to him and causing him all kinds of anxiety because he's replaced the truth of God for a lie, as it says in Romans. You know, we are so biblically ignorant that whenever somebody treats us like Saul's treating David throughout the entire book, we want to say what's wrong with them from their childhood and, you know, oh, they had this happen and that happen and they didn't have good moms and dads and they were abused and this, that and the other. Which again, that's absolutely possibly some of the case. But the real truth is, either their parents or themselves have not come to know the truth of God and they're operating completely out of what the world and Satan can fill their head full of lies with. And then they are turned around and used, tormented. They're being tormented by spirits that are speaking lies and then they end up operating out of those lies, living their life on the pursuit of people, looking out for themselves. You can just see this so clearly when you look at Saul constantly running around if anybody even sides with David or gives aid to him Saul kills him and says you know you're you're against me even innocent people he just kills because of this evil spirit and so man I I just I think about all that has said and done and her parents and it becomes so obvious and the thing that's interesting is that Saul thinks the whole time that God is with him Saul is convinced he even says to I can't even remember his name. The one guy who happened to overhear David telling Ahimelech, the priest, you know, where he was going, what he was doing. This guy, he rats out David and his men to Saul. And Saul says to him, bless you, Lord. Or he says, you know, may you and your family be blessed in the Lord for, you know, looking out after me and caring for me. And you're thinking to yourself, here's a guy who's possessed of an evil spirit, tormented, who the Spirit of the Lord has departed. He's being totally punished, and yet he still thinks that he's the godly one. And I think to myself, that is so exactly what's going on with and her parents. It's, it gives me tremendous comfort to see this, because I remember, I don't know, I guess a year and a half ago, praying, God, please, you know, change heart and use her for your purposes and for your glory and God just the spirit just cut me off and said Michael I already am using her for my glory 
And I was like, what? And I realized that God showed me the Pharaoh in that moment and how God raised up the Pharaoh for that purpose, which was to be a huge antagonistic force on earth to stand against the awesome power of God so that men and women, both in the Egyptian world and the Israelites, would see that God is awesome, that He he alone is God, and that His name might be known and revered. This was God's purpose. So God reveals Himself through victory against formidable earthly foes and antagonists. In the process, He uses those earthly foes and antagonists to create a godly character in the life of the protagonist, David, myself. It causes us one of two ways. We can either trust in ourselves, defend ourselves, run, flee, take vengeance, try to get justice, or we can trust God and His Word, and we can run to Him, depend upon Him, and then we see God's faithfulness. And in the process, God is pleased and God is glorified. It sees... It's so simple when you, when you see it. It's just so simple and yet it's so difficult to live because we're, we're not brought into this world thinking about God or as uh, I heard somebody say, with a bent towards God. We're, we're brought into this world with a bent away from God. And so then God pursues men and then He allows difficult circumstances into their life to create this humble dependency and a desire to say, God, help me. God, be with me. And then through that depending upon God and that prayerful seeking after God and trusting in God, you begin to know Him. And this gives such tremendous joy. You get to see that the invisible God is speaking to you, working on behalf of you, guiding and directing you, providing for you, disciplining you, rewarding you. You know, you just... There's so much meat even just in the story of... Uh, David, Nabal, and Abigail, and how David is presented with a test. There's this hard-hearted, obstinate man who stands against him, and David immediately wants to say in his pride, how dare you stand against me? But we're going to wipe you out. And through God's providence, Abigail, the the wife, goes and and pleads her case and asks for mercy on behalf of her stubborn, hard-hearted, foolish husband, as she says, and says, far be it from you to touch this man and... To then leave, live with guilt, a guilty conscience of what you've done, but rather trust the Lord. The Lord will take care of this for you. In spite of the fact that people are against you, the Lord will deliver you. Now you think to yourself, here's a complete stranger, a woman, who knows the heart of God for this man and says, God will take care of you. God will provide. It's incredible. And then you see David struck at the heart and he says, thank you. You know, you've saved me today. Your words have encouraged me in the Lord and and I'm not going to do what you've said. And David is able to learn a great lesson that he could have gotten victory and destroyed Nabal. But then as a king, he would live with that conscious, that guilt on his conscience of what he did. And, and, you know, that is something that I don't have towards my ex-wife. God has given me this clear conscience because I've not done anything to try to hurt her. I've been very diff- very frustrated sometimes and upset and cried a lot because of the way she's treated me and my kids but I trust the Lord and I I didn't hire an attorney I didn't try to hurt her I I didn't deny her visits during that summer and I'm now living with a clear conscience before God and she is not even now as she withholds withholds the children from me you know I can't imagine she's gonna have to live with this decision for the rest of her life this is two summers that she's stolen away from me and from my children. 
And yet, this suffering is, is working into me a depth of character that I could never get on my own and that I'm so blessed by. I, I, I don't like the suffering. I don't like it at all. But oh my goodness, I love I love how it makes me feel towards God. So blessed by that. It's very difficult, hurtful. The other thing I I want to also remember to always capture is how how long I've had to wait. I surrendered my life fully and completely and made a vow to the Lord on October 30th of 2009. Then the Lord started to challenge me to set things down. Like I read an entry yesterday about how hard it was for me to walk away from kickstart my sales. And I struggled with that for so long. And so I'm seeing biblical reality in my life. God's ways and God's truth and God's words. And I'm trusting God. But it has been such a long, long wait. I just, sometimes it's almost like I've forgotten how long it's been. You know, it's like almost the Lord has made me forget that I've been walking these trails for three years waiting upon the Lord to do something and nothing has happened. I've had promise after promise. God has sustained me and He's provided food for me and shelter. And It's been all about being disciplined, character development, shaping my heart, teaching me how to hear from God, filling me more with His Spirit, helping me have stronger faith in God. Learning to depend upon Him and not myself. It's been such a long time. You know, three years is a long time of having basically nothing. You know, you, you, you have all these fears come against you. Oh, you're getting older. You're, you're, you know, you're not going to be as, as, as virile and, and as, uh, have that vigorous energy. And, you know, you, you're, you're not going to be able to find, you know, Laura's, you've wasted uh, two years waiting for, for Laura. You could have been enjoying a relationship with her and, you're getting older and you're not looking as handsome and your hair's, you know, more falling out and, you know, it's harder to take care of yourself and you're missing out on valuable time and she's had so much life before you that you're never going to be able to have as much life with her. I mean, just all kinds of lies. You know, your kids, they're, they're, they're getting to that age where, you know, psychiatrists and people say that they've already pretty much determined who they are and it's why it's so important for for there to be a father in their life. And I've read these statistics about kids that don't have fathers in their lives. And and just this fear comes over me, you know? And I think to myself, how how have I been able to go this long? It's only by the mir- miraculous, amazing, ununderstandable, mysterious grace of God. It's unbelievable that I've been able to go this long. I'm walking down this sidewalk that I have walked on hundreds of times and spent it's got to be you know including the trail we're talking thousands of hours poured out before the lord praying and god help me and god deliver me and and you know you you, somebody might say mike give it up man don't you see nothing's happening god's not changing your circumstances he's not there there would be people who would think that and there'd be lies along the way that have been spoken to me about that and Somehow or another, you just know that you know that you know in your spirit. And you, and you see in the Bible where, you know, David was on the, the run from King Saul for years. And <clears throat> uh, Joseph was in prison for years. And Moses was in the desert for years. And Abraham was out in, in transition for years, waiting for, 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 Jace, for uh, the promised child, you know, Isaac, for 13 years. Granted, they lived a little longer than we do, you know, but it's just, it's unbelievable. You know, and, and, and if I 
thought a year ago that I'd still be waiting, I think I would have given up. I think I, I think there's so many times, like even six months ago, maybe if I, I thought, wow, if I have to wait another six months, I, I don't think I can make it. And so there again, the need to stay in the moment and why God doesn't tell us sometimes what's going to happen in the future and the need to trust God day by day. It's that daily dependence upon God that creates the relationship and builds the strong godly character and trust and faith in God. And then I, I look back and I say, well, how have I been making it? How have, how have I lasted five years in October of waiting upon the Lord, surrendering my life? How, how have I done this for five years living like this? You know, and, and the reality is, is that it's actually been a lot longer than that if you count the gym. You know, my life has never fully recovered. I had two, two, two good years, uh, but then the locusts came in and destroyed all that. So the truth is, since 2001 kind of like Joseph you know he's thrown into the pit sold into slavery and then he has a couple of I guess a short period of a a good year uh, in the Pharaoh's thing and then he's betrayed again and thrown back into into jail and I'm seeing this going this is exactly what's happening to me I had that one good year and then I was thrown right back into the pit and so we're talking we're coming up on 2001 is when I started the gym 2002 is when I lost it so this was 12 year anniversary so we're talking I'm in the. I'm getting ready to be in the 13th year. It's crazy. It's crazy. And uh, I'm just trusting God. You know, I just the only way I've made it this long is daily dependence on His Word. I think to myself, how I could have never made it. It wouldn't have been for me seeking God's Word and God's face and all this time in prayer. You know, you. you I. I could not wait the Lord like this and all the the Charles Stanley messages that I've listened to about it over and over and over again when I needed encouragement or the certain books that I've gone back to like In Step with God by Charles Stanley or George Mueller's book and read you know those parts of those books that really encouraged me in my faith and anyhow I just I never want to forget because I know that God is going to deliver me and I never want to forget these moments. I'm trying to capture as many pictures as I can of, you know, what it was like waiting. The times that it just hurt until I couldn't stand it anymore. And then how God continues even now to allow me to go through suffering with my children. And yet, He is sustaining me. And He is continuing to strengthen me. I, I grieve the loss. Some, you know, many times I cry to the Lord about it. and But I, I grieve it and then I say, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you. And I don't know how many hundreds of times I've done that over these last couple of years. But all I'm thinking is, I know that my God is for me. I believe that what the Bible says about Him is true. I believe His words to me. I mean, I wake up this morning, I walk out of my room and I walk into the kitchen and it's 5.55. I will deliver you. God, just encouraging me at the right time always, I will deliver you. I will deliver you. And He's been telling me for so long. And You know, you just want to say, when God? When? And now I don't say that anymore. I I just patiently wait. God has taught me patience. I just really trust Him and I know that a really wonderful day is coming in my life where I really believe that I am going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I believe it's going to be spectacular. And I believe the primary reason is not even to, 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 to bless me or to reward me but to demonstrate God's unbelievable faithfulness to other people so that they will believe Him through 
dark times and hard suffering and disappointments and long waits, but they'll believe Him and trust Him because this has been an unbelievable journey. I mean, I, I can't even describe to people what this journey has been like, how, how long the wait, how many adversities, how many different persecutions and, you know, faith failures and, you know, just this one adversity, affliction, trial, tribulation, disappointment, long period of suffering after another, you know, and an ex-wife who just will not give up. I mean, she is just like Saul. She, Saul she's being driven by the energy of, a, of an evil spirit that, that wants to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he, he operates off of a supernatural power. Thank God for me that I have a power in me that's greater. That's, that, this is the essence of what Paul is talking about in Romans 8, around the 31st chapter, about we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And Charles Stanley just taught a message about this and helped me to understand that if you conquer, you win. You know, if, if something comes against you and you're able to stand up against it and defeat it, you win. But Paul says we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And what that means is that it's never just somebody comes against you, you win. It's always somebody comes against you, you win, and you benefit and have even greater uh, rewards and things that happen. Example would be the more my ex-wife has tried to pin me against the wall, like Saul I mean, it's unbelievable when I see the parallels between the story of King Saul and David and how he pursues David and the lies and the accusations. It's almost like watching my entire divorce story, to the, even to the point where Saul apologizes to David and he has a come-to-a-senses you know, moment twice, once in the cave and then another time uh, when he goes into the cave to pee and then the other time when... David and his men sneak into their camp at night while they're sleeping and steals the water jug and the spear by his head. And Saul both times repents and says, I'm sorry, I've sinned, you know, against you. May the Lord bless you. Come to me, David. Come back to me. You see, twice he does this. But then he turns right back around both times and pursues David like a dead dog. And... David knows it. In fact, he even mentions that he knows it in this second account. He says he knows that surely Saul will pursue me and kill me if I stay here. So he knows that he doesn't believe a word of what Saul's saying. This is exactly like what happened with my ex-wife. Uh, the time that she comes to me in the movie theater and says, You know what? You're right. I admit to you that I've sinned against you and I've not treated you the way, that I've not treated you like the God-given gift that you are to me that happens then after we divorce and I'm picking the kids up I came to her house one time she comes to the door crying and she comes to the door that time she come, follows me to the car apologizes says I've sinned against you I've not treated you the way I've, I've, I've had a right to be angry but I haven't handled it well we need to be Christian parents and work together she says all this to me and I'm my heart is it's breaking, but yet God gives me the, the grace to know this is not permanent, what she's saying right now. It was almost like a trap, and I continued to move about and let everything be the same way. She came back to me that night after I took kids. She came back and said the same exact thing. I knew in that moment this was not going to last. Three days later, three days later is when I get 
the motion to be psychologically evaluated by my ex-wife's attorney. So she comes to me and apologizes. And then three days later, she's on me like this. It was unbelievable. It's just exactly like what happened with Saul. And so, you know, my story is so, so like what's going on in the Bible and like what's going on with David and Joseph and these people. I'm saying, God, this seems so unique. I know, I know a lot of people don't have these kind of experiences. What's the point of me even telling everybody? And then I just, as soon as I say that, I recognize that there are God's chosen people who are going through things like this, who do need to be encouraged and know that, yes, my story is looking just like Saul and David's story, and God still works the same way then as He does now. And God uses my wife and her disobedience. He's allowing her to be tormented by an evil spirit, by her disobedience, and that evil spirit is trying to have its way with me. God, just like David, would warn David. It's this unbelievable thing where on one hand, God is working against His servant with Saul, and then he works on behalf of his servant as the servant depends upon God. It's the same thing with Pharaoh. It's unbelievable when your eyes begin to see this. God says to, you know, Moses, go tell Pharaoh he must let my people go. But I'm going to harden his heart. What? So it's this really unbelievable balance God does between hardening the heart of the adversary and enabling and empowering by grace his missionary. And it is just fascinating to see this he's he does this in multiple places you know god warns you know both of them in the in in this way and and i'm thinking to myself god did this also for them as a nation he would warn them about people groups and enemies and false gods and all that and then anyhow my point is that you see that god uses the disobedience of some to be used as a tool in his hand to bring affliction to those he loves and disciplines in hopes that those people will turn from whatever things that are outside of God's will in their life and turn to Him uh, to seek His face, to trust Him, to obey Him, to worship Him and glorify Him. So it's like God uses the evil. I mean, to me, it has to be one of the biggest paybacks for the devil that God must going to celebrate and probably celebrates each time that Satan wakes up to the reality of, wait just a second, he's using all of my energy and all of my forces against me. He's, he's, I got this one, but he's turning around and using me to strengthen that one. And I think to myself, what an unbelievable, awesome strategy God is. I mean, if that doesn't show how unbelievably undefeatable, how unbelievably awesome God is, nothing does, that God can use his own enemy for his good, think about that. That's incredible. And does it without even blinking an eye. It's like, it's amazing. I guess the devil is so stubborn and so blinded by his own hate, he can't see the truth that God's doing that to him, so he never gives up. So I feel like God has just given me this unbelievable understanding about how God uses our enemies to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ and how it isn't just like, well, God works it all out, but that no, God intentionally, consciously, willfully uses those that are disobedient including up to the point of allowing somebody to be tormented by an evil spirit to become a full-on adversary of ours such that we learn how to respond in God's ways to those attacks. And in the, in the process, we grow in the Lord. And that gives me such a hope when I think to myself and I see how clearly that my ex-wife is being tormented and says things about me and believes things about me. And I tell you what, if I put my eyes on those things, 
it, it can make me feel devastated. But when I trust God and I, and I see in His Word, oh, it gives me this sense of hope and it makes it so easy for me to not be mad at I, I just, I love her more and I have more compassion for her and so much so that I know in my heart that if God turned her heart around and she fully repented and, and I knew that God had opened her eyes to her rebellion, that I would take her back. I don't, I, I don't hate her. I don't not love her. But I don't have that kind of love for her right now. I have love for, for Laura. It's just that I know that in my heart I have that capacity. And that makes me feel good so that I know I don't hate her in any way. And I'm not, you know, feeling malicious or I don't harbor any malice towards her at all. You know, I, I wish I could give her a hug and high five her and tell her thank you for, you know, looking after the kids, uh, you know, while I've been, you know, away and, and let's work together and and let me help provide and that we could be friends and she could want to be a part of our, our, our blended family's life and, you know, be friends with Laura and be nice. And I mean, I just, oh, I would pray for something like that. Maybe God will do something like that. Maybe after God is done using her in my life like this for evil purposes, that he'll soften her heart, remove the torment of an evil spirit and replace his spirit inside of her heart and give her a fresh new start. I, I, I pray for, for God to be merciful to her, you know, because I see more and more how it is not her. She, unfortunately, is just being used, you know. She's just being used. And, and just like David says, far be it from me to touch the Lord's anointed. Well, far be it from me to touch the, the, the Lord's little daughter. I mean, I just feel so, so sad. You know, she, she has no idea. She thinks that she's doing right. She literally believes that she is right and that I'm wrong and God has given her this evidence. This is, this is making this child support thing become so much more obvious. Michael Commentary, John 16, verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact... A time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. End of commentary. To me, why it is that God would ask me to work in the ministry full-time, take no paid jobs, just like the one last week I just got her three days ago that I've had to already say no to from Todd Bowerly, why he would say that to me and, and put me in this position where I'm now increasingly humbled and a, and a peer, God has made it look like I'm a neglectful, negligent, loser dad who has abandoned my kids and doesn't want to pay anything for them. When that is totally not the truth, that I am simply obeying what God is asking me to do, and because of that, I'm suffering even more. It's very interesting how this is working, that, that God is using my own decision to obey Him. Again, like me sticking my own knife to my throat because I trust God, and He has told me He will deliver me, and I know that when He's ready, I know whatever it is, He still wants me to learn. I haven't learned yet. I may be closer, but I haven't learned. And I don't want to be presumptuous about how much farther I have to go in this. I don't want to say, oh, it's just got to be around the corner. I hope it is. But I've been saying that for, I bet I thought I'd be moved out of my parents' house. 
I thought six months would be a long time. I thought, you know what, Mom, if I'm here six months, that's going to be a long time. Well, what a, what a bad guess that was. <laughs> How off was I on that? I remember six weeks in going, I think I'm going to go crazy. I got to get back to work. I got to do something. And the whole time, God is telling me, sit still. And I had no idea how long that sit still was going to last. And in the process, there's just so little of me left. I mean, to the point where I've, I've even heard my father, I've even heard myself multiple times say and feel to the Lord, God, if you don't give me Laura, that's okay. I, I can live by myself the rest of my life. If, if I don't see my kids again until I'm 18, until they're 18. Michael Commentary. How remarkable. Something I was actually right on. God was not going to give me Laura. I was going to learn to live without her, and I was not going to see any of my children until the first one turned 18 years old. As of right now, he's in my possession. None of the others are. End of commentary. God, I know you'll sustain me. Literally just giving up everything. Lord, if you want me to move to China, if you want me to do this, whatever, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Michael commentary, I cannot resist throwing in there. Not China, Michael, but how would India work for you? End of commentary. You don't get to that place of total surrender. Most people don't without going through tremendous brokenness. And so it's just making more and more sense to me. You know, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you will be complete, lacking nothing, mature and complete. And so that's why I'm persevering. You know, that's why I'm just continuing to say, God, help me. Help me stay in there. Help me stay in there. And this waiting, this seemingly doing nothing, except for just doing a couple of videos to help people and meeting people here and there up on the mountains and sharing Jesus Christ when I can and helping people on the phone or whatever when I can, just basic stuff. Everything else my life is about has been about studying the Word and praying and talking to God. And, and so many people would say, what do you do all day besides just talk to the Lord and and, you, and I think to myself, I'm doing the same thing that David would have been done all those years, running from cave to cave. Where was the productivity in that? Where was the productivity in being a slave in Potiphar's house, or worse, being a, being a prisoner in the dungeon for Joseph? Where was the productivity in that? Spiritual productivity is what it was. God was working in the heart. And although it's just like what that one psalm says, it says... Uh, that until, until his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him, shaped him, tested him by fire, refined him. And that's exactly what's happening is until the word of the Lord that he's given me, that I will deliver you, you will have a wife, you know, you will have your children again. Until the word of the Lord comes to me in that way, until it comes fulfilled, the word of the Lord, those promises and his word are testing me. They're shaping me. It's refining me. Do I believe in God? Will I quit? Will I give up? I mean, faith is this just, it's a very, very mysterious, deep, sometimes confusing thing. I mean, every once in a while, it's like God opens my eyes to how hard faith is. Because sometimes it's just so easy because I'm led of the Spirit. And I just am like, oh, what do you do? You trust God. I have this faith. It doesn't come from me. It comes from the Spirit of God in me. It's a gift. And it's grace. And then there's other times when I think to myself, man, faith is so unbelievably hard because everything, literally everything in your world, aside of your faith, is about 
trusting in you, not trusting in God. It's about trusting in the government. It's about trusting in electricity. It's about trusting in man. It's about trusting in, you know, the, the, the co local commercial establishment. That you can have all of your needs met. You got a headache, you run to Walgreens. You know, you got a, a legal problem, you run to an attorney. You know, you, you, you got uh, emotional pain, you run to a bottle. You know, you, you got anxiety and fear, you run to a pill. There's no real need to trust and have faith in God. And so the person who decides to depend upon God and trust God looks like an anomaly, looks like a freak of nature, looks like a fool, like an alien in a strange land, which incidentally is what the Bible says we're to live as. But I think to myself, man, sometimes I realize how crazy faith is in the real world. The idea that, oh, you just think God's going to do this? Oh, you, you just think God's going to provide you for, oh, give you this wife? You just really believe, like, Mike, get the sign here, pal. Smell the coffee, dude. You know, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. Why in the world would you think that some invisible force called God is going to change somebody's heart or have you and her show up at some place and then God's going to do like this, this magic thing to put you guys together. Why would you believe that? Okay, Why do you think it's okay to trust God when your children are being abused and the grandfather is standing on your 12-year-old son or telling your 6-year-old son, 7-year-old uh, son at the time that he's not worth spit and, and telling them over and over again that your father is the devil, that he's a liar, he doesn't love you, he doesn't care about you, he cares about himself. Why are you going to sit still and trust an invisible God to just do this for you. That he's going to somehow or another protect your kids from these lies. That he's going to protect them from being abused. This is what a legal system is for. You know, you're not helping out. You're not doing your part as a father to, to help out. You're just sitting around. You just think God's going to do it. No, God helps those that help themselves. This is what people are taught and what people believe and what Satan has done such an amazing job convincing us of. And so when somebody tries to break out of the mold, when somebody begins to say, nope, we're headed in the wrong direction, I'm going to swim upstream, I believe and trust God, this invisible Father. That is such a freak show to people. And the amazing thing is, is that God has given me a glimpse of that. God has allowed me to somehow or another have understanding on both sides of the fence. In other words, I still, even though I am just this faith freak, literally, I just believe God for so impossible things and I just trust Him so much and I'm trusting and leaning upon Him for everything in my life right now. Everything. I have been for years, but more so now. But even still, I'm believing God for everything. Lord, what do you want, where do you want me to move to? Lord, what do I say to this person's invitation for me to go? Father, what about this job offer I just got to do a video job three days ago? What do you say about it? Okay, Lord, what do you say about this woman that's just approached or the pastor's dad who just tried to uh, connect me with the woman? What do you say about this person I want to disciple or help? What do you say about the way this person's... I depend upon the Father for everything. God, finances. Lord, I need coffee money, please. Here comes the check, the, you know, the donation. I have, I'm all in on that side, but yet God still has not allowed me to forget how the rest of the world thinks about that. In other words, I still have the capacity to go, man, this is crazy. 
that you're living like this. This is so bizarre that you are living this kind of weird existence where you're believing in this invisible, never-before-seen, never-heard-of God. And Mike, we live in this great country. Just trust that, that God has already done the work and blessed. And you can depend upon all the great things He's done rather than depending upon the living God. This sets people up to live on the God who was, not the God who is. I told the Lord this morning, I said, Father, even if you're moving upon somebody's heart and somebody sends me $100,000, I said, God, please don't ever let me put my trust in that finances. And I just visualized getting $100,000 this morning and, and just being so relaxed about it and realizing that I'm to steward this and that it could be gone in an instant to never put my hope in finances again because I've not put my hope in finances for the longest time. My hope is in the Lord. And I don't want to, I want God to be able to bless me financially if He wants to, but this morning God's reminding me of that scripture, do not store up treasures on earth where moth, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'm just looking around at all the stuff that my parents have and the stuff we have in the world and realizing how easy it is to put our trust in these things and instead we are to trust in the living God and put our hope fully in Him and I said God please don't let me ever have so much that I stop trusting in you it'd be better for me to just give it away you know and then I've had all kinds of concerns and fears about what is Laura going to think about the way I'm living you know what is she going to think she's going to be looking for security she's a woman and what is she going to think about me teaching her children to learn to live in faith upon God. And that may mean that sometimes you have very lean seasons of finances in your life and you can't do all the things that you want to do because you're trusting in God and that your heart is in heaven, not here on earth. It's so hard to get to this place. This faith walk thing is not easy. Being sold out, consistently surrendered to Jesus Christ's will for your life is, is the most difficult thing I think any human being could ever do. And yet I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I don't want anything to take away from what God's doing in my heart. I'm just so thankful for it. You know, and, and uh, I think that the enemy has given me so many lies about Laura. You know, trying to get me to think that, that she's going to treat me the same way that my ex-wife did. I, I, I've had some nightmares I journaled about not so long ago about her treating me the same way with such contempt. To, uh, turn away from me and, and treat me um, the same way she did. And then I've worried about... You know, what is she going to think about my faith in God? You know, will we be unequally yoked? Will she, will she be excited about me wanting to know the Lord more for her kids? Or will she feel that it's a threat? I've been thinking about that a lot. So, I'm just uh, continuing to, to walk this out. And now I'm going to shut my thing off here and continue to worship God.